Father, I pray for your glory that our ears would be open, our eyes would see, our hearts would be receptive to the prompting of your Spirit. Thank you for your Word, which is alive. Thank you for the season in which we read this in. And I pray, Lord, that um, your will would be done. In the name of Christ, our Savior, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Okay, doxology. I'll read it first of all. That'd be a good start. Verse 24. To him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Wonderful. Doxology, though. It's a strange word. It's not one we use often. So what's it all about? Made up of two Greek words. If I had my slide, if I'd sent it, which I haven't, you would see that it's made up of two Greek words. The first Greek word is doxa, and the second Greek word is logos. You've heard the word logos. I'm pretty sure of that. And uh, logos, as we know, um, means word, and doxa means praise or glory. Okay? So doxology simply means a word of praise or a word of glory to God. Okay, doxology, whenever you came across that, two words, doxa, logos, a word of praise or a word of glory to God. And this doxology, I would say, is one of the most beautiful there is. Tucked away there at the back, a book gets quite tough at times. But this isn't a nice, gentle, it isn't like a wee sweetener as we come out of this tough, tough book. That's not the purpose of this doxology. Um, what do I mean by that? I don't know. As a parent, you really are trying to guide your child. Some things you're saying in love, is, it seems harsh, but you know it's for their benefit, and you're being as strong as you can to get it across. And at the end, you just give them a wee sweetie. That's not what the doxology is here, okay? It isn't like that. Jude continues on point, the idea of a, a military, a, a soldier at the front taking point. He's on point, and he's continuing to reassure us, his readers, that God, as we keep on going, that God is right there with us fighting in the battle. So that, that theme and the slide would show two boxing gloves and it's all about a battle, Will it, whether it be in a ring or whether it be in, in a military sort of imagery, as, as disciples of Jesus Christ and, and the kingdom of God, which is very contrary to the kingdoms of the world, it is a battle, it is a fight and it's all around us and, and Jude has been addressing that and, and other things. And he is saying here, even though the battle is raging all around us, God is still on point. We are still going to fight, and he's still going to fight from you. Throughout Jude, now this I will need you to have the Bible, your Bible open, because I've not got it up there to show you. I did all the, the, the work for you on my slide, but now you're going to have to work for your living. So Jude moves, in these two verses, he moves our gaze from the troubles around about us, 
to the heavenly realms. Right? You get that very quickly, very easily, where he actually says, now to him. The, the focus of his writing, the focus of his, his, is all about God now in these two verses. But up until this point, it's been about what's been happening on the ground, on ground level. So for instance, he had no problem whatsoever calling people them. He was pointing people out throughout this letter, pointing the finger at them, or never naming them, but actually saying them. And what's that language, them and us? Jude encourages this because it's such a serious battle. We can't be fluffy and wooly. We have to call them out, them. And he does this. This is what scripture does. So, for instance, verse 4. For certain men, right? So he's starting to identify them, right? He, he calls them certain men. Go down to verse 8. These certain men he calls dreamers who pollute their bodies. Right? And he goes on to describe a little bit more of them. Verse 10 he says, Yet these men, again, not calling them by name, but identifying them, them, these, that sort of language. These men speak abusively. And then verse 11 he goes on. A scary verse in the Bible Woe to them, woe to them, for they have taken the way of Cain, and they've rushed for profit into Balaam's error, and they have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. And it continues, verse 12, these men are blemishes at your love feast. Them, 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 them. Verse 14, um, no, verse 13, they are wild waves. Verse 14, Enoch the seventh from Adam prophesied about these men. Verse 16, these men. Jude has been at pains to point out the enemy, to point out those people who are leading the church astray. And then what he does is he changes it and he pivots again and he starts to talk about us. Verse 17, but dear friends, some translation says, but dear beloved. It's not about them anymore. His attention in his letter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to this church is to call those who are disciples of Jesus Christ, but friends, beloved. Um, and he does that again in verse 20, but you, dear friends, are but you, dear beloved. So this is how he has been moving in this letter. And now, in verse 24, he pivots again when he says, to him. He turns his focus completely on God. So this isn't a nice way to finish a tough wee letter, a, a wee sweetener, a, a sweetie at the end. Verse 24 and 25 isn't a nice wee psalm of sorts, but it's an intentional focus on God because God and only God is going to get us through this war. And I'll say that again. His focus is on God because in your life and in my life, if we are willing to be obedient to Jesus and to walk in the dust of our rabbi, the only way we're going to do that is if our trust is fully in God because he and only he is going to get us through that. So that's a wee bit, a wee And I'm going to look at three things um, I think quite exciting things. Great way to finish this book. 
Three things I think Jude highlights. And the first, if you're noting anything down, just put down Jesus, Savior, and God. It's the very first thing. But go to verse 24 for that. 25 for that, sorry. So the last, I'm going to jump a verse. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Remember, Jude is Jesus' half-brother. Mary and Joseph were Jude's mum and dad. Obviously, Jesus conceived by the Holy Spirit. Joseph was Jesus' stepdad, as it were. And, and Jesus had many brothers and many sisters. We said that all the way back, and I won't get pains, but it's good to highlight that and to highlight that there are a number of times throughout Scripture when Jesus is performing miracles and teaching, etc., that his family come to distract him, his family come to save him, his family come to put him in his right mind. In other words, Jesus' family did not believe in him as being the Messiah to the Jews and the Savior of the world until after the resurrection. Don't believe me? It's in there in Scripture. I've not got time to go through it. It is a fact. Okay. Jude, who's a leader of the church, did not believe in Jesus um, prior to the resurrection. And can you blame him? What are your brothers and sisters like? You might say, oh, but this is Jesus was talking about. That aside, sibling rivalry can be quite troubling at times. You may think, for instance, Doc Kennedy, you might think your brother is exceptional. And I agree. I think he's a wonderful man of God. And you may want to praise him and praise him and praise him. And that's great. But there are some people who don't want to do that with their siblings because the higher you elevate them, the lower you look. You know? And, and some of, I mean, one of my brothers, I, I don't know if one of my brothers knows all my kids' names. And my eldest is 15. Really don't know if all, my eldest brother knows all my children's names. Why? He's just not interested. And if I'm truthful, I rarely pray for him. I've moved on. Maybe I'm saying that and the Holy Spirit's convicting me. I don't know. But, but that's... So sibling rivalry. I've, I've got no problem that, that Jude did not believe in Jesus. And, and actually, those, those of us who are obviously post-resurrection, we may look back and say, well, if I was there and Jesus did all these miracles, and if I was there and Jesus taught like that, and if I saw someone raised from the dead, and if I get fed with those fish and those loaves, I would believe, I would believe. Look at the disciples. They fled. They've seen so much. Jesus invested three years in their life, and yet they still fled and abandoned. Very few were at the cross. So anyway, Jude believes Jesus after resurrection. Now, and as he writes this, he is convinced that Jesus is the Messiah of the Jews and the Savior of the world. And he says this here. In fact, he says it right at the beginning. I, I, I love, uh, Jude, a servant of of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say Jude, half-brother of Jesus, the Messiah, by the way. Nudge, 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 wink, wink, wink. doesn't say that. And even here, he testifies to our only God and Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ. This is actually monumental. A monumental change you're seeing in the pages of Scripture. Someone who now believes and that's when everything changed for me. And that's my testimony. And I'm sure for the vast majority of people here who are disciples of Jesus Christ, 
when Jesus became our Savior and Lord. That's when it all changed. Because when Jesus, who's our Savior and Lord, he takes point. He goes before us. He is with us and he beckons us to follow him. When Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, when you fully bow the knees and, and submit your heart, your will but not mine, by the grace of God, our Savior protects us. We are in his will. There are many times when we wander and his mercy is, our, our sins are so many, his mercy is more as we sing. When we go off point, and many of us have. You know that idea that there's a perfect line God's will for your life. I've seen this drawn so many times when I was a young person and possibly an error used this when I was a youth pastor. This is your life. And you put a wee... And this is heaven. And this is God's will for your life. Stay on that life. Don't go to the left or the right because the, the devil is there like a roaring lion ready to devour. But the truth of the matter is we're all over the place. And sometimes God will take us to the, the high points and sometimes he'll take us to the depth. As a father disciplines and disciples to produce Christ-likeness in us. And there are sometimes our decisions that we make, extramarital affairs, all sorts of things like that, stuff that we know that is just not what the Lord wants for us. And we go off point, we're not within his will. But are we suddenly never going to get on track and never get over here? No, because the Lord takes us there. His mercy is more. His grace is sufficient. Oh, outrageous grace. Sorry, it's a wee, a wee side thing. I wanted to go there. Um, but when Jesus is our Lord and Savior, no matter where we go, no matter what we do, sins are so many, his mercy is more. Oh, outrageous grace. We are saved. We'll be okay in this battle. Now, this would have been handy for a slide, but you're going to have to try and stay with me here because I'm sure you've heard of the three tenses of salvation. And if you've not, every day is a school day. Ready? The three tenses of salvation. The first one, we are saved. And what tense is that? No, 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 past. We are saved. I've been saved. Get there in a minute. You're jumping. This, right? I'm not saying you're wrong, but for this point in my analogy, you're wrong. Right? <laughs> we are saved as, first of all, past tense. We, if we are disciples of Jesus Christ, we are saved from the penalty of sin. What sin? All of that rubbish that we ourselves are ashamed of. And then, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, the stuff that we are just so aware that is not according to God's will. Sin. It's a, 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 Packages so much up, right? We are, I am saved from the penalty of sin for all that is past. That moment I believed, the penalty of sin was lifted from me. Paul says in Romans 10, if you declare with your mouth, if, past, I guess, Jesus is Lord, or maybe as a prayer, whatever. Um, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So for me, when I was 15, with Jake Booth beside me in a little hall in Leaven, I confessed my sins to another, uh, to God, and asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I was saved at that moment. I confessed in my mouth. I believed in my heart that Jesus was saved. And I was saved. But we are also being saved, which is present for those who shouted out. Yeah, We are. I am being saved just now. 
I'm on a journey. I'm moving somewhere. I need to choose to oh, I need to choose God's will today. I need to choose God's will tonight. Right? And in that process, I'm, I'm being saved. But I'm not being saved from the penalty of sin. I'm being saved from the power of sin. That's why I go on all the time about holy habits. And I do in the discipleship group that I'm, I'm involved in. What are holy habits? Silence. What are holy habits? Sabbath keeping. I love my Sabbath. What are holy habits? Um, meditation. Prayer. Because we, we've all got maps in our life that we follow. And if we are going to become like Jesus, we need to incorporate certain patterns, certain rhythms of our life that encourage us to be more like him. Because it doesn't just happen like that. Sandy Johnson, some of you will know, uh, comes from a, a travel background, was a, an alcoholic. Over a weekend, as he gave his life to Christ, he was healed from alcoholism, meaning he has no problem. He has no thirst for it. It isn't anything that ever comes to his mind. That was his testimony here maybe five or six years ago. But I know of other people who are constantly struggling with that. They would consider themselves alcoholics and they know they would go on the bottle like that because they still have the thirst and there's still something in their brain that's attracted to it. I can't remember why I told you that story. But it is this, we're in a process. Sometimes the process will happen quickly. Sometimes it will not. It is a long, long drawn out affair. So I am being saved by the power of sin, hopefully. And hopefully the more I follow Jesus, I'm obedient to his commands, the less I sin. That is the hope. Who's perfect? No one is perfect. Who's arrived? No one has arrived. How do I know that? John says it in 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Who is he writing this to? Disciples of Jesus Christ, who are saved already, but are being saved if they would be obedient to the commands of Christ. So God breaks the power of sin over me, and, and that's a present tense. And then the final, final tense. One day we will be saved. I don't want to burst anyone's bubble, but that's a future thing. Not from the penalty of sin, not from the power of sin. And I can't quite get my mind around this, how it'll work, but from the presence of sin. We'll be in a resurrected body in heaven. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more pain. Somehow there'll be no more desire for sin. We have become like Jesus. That process is happening now. We are being saved. But one day, from the very presence of sin, there'll be no temptation. Again, I, don't, I, I can't describe that. But I believe it's very, very, very biblical. Our, salva our salvation at that point will be complete. Three tenses. Past, present, future. We are saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. So remember that. When you get discouraged in this fight, whatever your fight is, remember when the influencers 
on social media get under your skin. When you see someone stand in the pulpit and so warp scripture to their own ends and their own ideology that makes your blood boil and you even weep because that man of, that minister, that person standing in that pulpit is leading a lot of people astray. Remember, when the truth seems so slippery, when you're struggling to find hope, you are saved. You are saved. You may be uh, someone may have told you that you're on the losing side of history and, and the, the way you are falling, the way you are living is just so last century uh, and, and get with the program. You're not a loser. You are saved. You are a winner. The battle has been won and God desires con to continue to bring about his purposes in your and my life. So just important to say that about salvation so that you're not discouraged. Second thing I want to say, I'm going to say this a wee bit quicker. Jesus, he will keep you. So Jude, speaking about his half-brother, who is now his saviour and God, is also saying, Jesus, he will keep you. And you see that in verse 24. To him, to Jesus, who is able to keep you from falling. Falling or stumbling, whatever your translation is, his context is apostasy this book tackles that all the time what is apostasy falling away teaching that is not in line with the truth and Jude is saying and Jesus will keep you from falling into error it's a promise he who saved you is the only one who will sustain you and will keep you anyone read Pilgrim's Progress Anyone read the, the, the big adult one of Pilgrim's Progress? Because I've read the children's version. <laughs> it's a lot easier. Um, you know, it's a, a Christian um, allegory. It's got a couple of meanings. Obviously, it's this story of, of, of a man named Christian who leaves the city of destruction. It's his journey to a place called the Celestial City. But it's about other things underneath. It's about the life of faith. It's about all the roadblocks and all the creatures along the way. And that's the deep level of Pilgrim's progress. As we strive to be obedient to Jesus, as we strive um, for eternity and how we're going to have to encounter all these things before we get to glory. And from our perspective, life is difficult and life is dangerous. And I hope I'm not an air here, but I want to say this, but from God's perspective, I believe life is secure and life is safe. From ours, how are we going to get beyond these next number of months as a church family um, financially? That's just one little topic that came to, uh, came to my head. How are we going to do that? It's going to be hard, it's going to be difficult, but in God's perspective, no, 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 you're going to get, you're going to get by that. And um, he says, to him who is able to keep you. Now, to him, to Jesus who is able to keep you, um, we don't keep ourselves. We don't keep our finances. We don't keep our health. We don't keep, keep our mental health. Um, God keeps us. Just as we don't save ourselves, we can't save ourselves, Jesus saves us. So from that perspective... 
God is the one who will keep us. God is the one who will get us through. God says, I've already conquered. Trust in me. Follow me. Be obedient. And although there will be the valley of the shadow of death, and although there will be the mountaintop experiences, the work I've begun I will complete. So from God's perspective, of his side of eternity, urging us on, encouraging us with the great cloud of witness, really shouting for us, the battle's won. The difficulty that you are facing and the difficulty that we will face as the time goes on as a church family, it's already secure because Jesus is on the cross says it's finished. And then he arose having conquered the power of sin and death in Hades. The word keep is a military word. It means to guard and to watch over and to protect. So in your mind's eye, whether it be Kirsten, whether it be Rosemary, whether it be Fiona or John or Alan, I encourage you in your mind's eye to see God at his post guarding you. Now, guarding your mind, guarding your heart. He is able to keep you. He's able to guard over you and to ensure you your eternal salvation. At the very beginning, Jude says, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. He's bookending this to reassure us. Right at the beginning, you're kept. Keep close to him. Don't wander. You'll find out his mercy is more, but I'd much rather be under the grace of God. And at the very end, he's saying he'll, he'll keep you and present you. Bookend, I think it's quite wonderful to see that. Being confident of this, Paul said to the church at Philippi, that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. One thing I've been doing in my Sabbath is DIY jobs. One thing that Miranda's getting me doing my Sabbath is DIY jobs. Because there's a lot of unfinished pro uh, projects. Don't believe God has unfinished projects. You may be a work in progress and you know some of these people, Larry might have a t-shirt like this, saved or something like that, but under construction. You know, one of these ones... Um, and that may be the case, but God will never give up. God will never, ever, ever say, I started it and it's too much hassle and I'm going to stop it and not go back to it. Even think of Noah and the rainbow and all of what God was feeling back then. Go read that and I believe that will, um, it will say similar to what I'm saying here. God has not given up, won't give up. You may be under construction, but he's not finished with you. You've not went, you're not beyond the pale with how you have abandoned him and what you think about him and how you're running from him. He will leave the 99 sheep and come and find that one who's wandered off and carry you back in his shoulders. And the fat, very last thing, Jesus, he will present you before his glorious throne without fault, verse 24, and with great joy. Have you ever met someone who's faultless? No. There's a great story of Spurgeon. 
because there's a theology, and I, I can't remember what it is, but it's this theology where people are actually saying, no, I am I'm perfect. And it's like, oh, it's a weird thing, so I can't even describe it. But this guy came to Spurgeon, whatever, how many hundred years ago or something like that, and says, and, and was claiming that he was perfect, he was without sin, that God had completed the work. And Spurgeon says, is that right? And the guy says, yes. And Spurgeon took the beaker of his water and threw it in the guy's face, to which the guy started to curse. And Spurgeon, say, Spurgeon says, I thought so. It's a true story. <laughs> and I, right, so, um, he will present you faultless because he's already pronounced you faultless. Say that again. He will present you faultless because he has already pronounced over you that you are faultless. That statement comes from the doctrine of justification. You may be full of fault, but God, the judge, has pronounced you as faultless because Jesus took our sin and God treated Jesus like he should have treated you and I. So that God could treat us the way that Jesus should have been treated. That is justification. Oh, outrageous grace that I would be treated that way. What have I done? Who am I? But I'm made in the image of God and he's pursued me. God has pronounced that he will present you before his glorious throne without fault and with great joy. Now you may be thinking, that's too good to be true, and there certainly was a time in my life um, that I just did not see a future for myself, and that's part of my testimony and how God has changed my, my experience and my mind. But you may be thinking, that's too good to be true, I'm a terrible person, I've let God down time and time again. I'm a fake. If only people knew what I was like. You don't know what I was doing yesterday and now I'm coming here. I've not thought about God for a week and now I'm... Whatever. Someone may have actually said to you as a child that you'll never amount to nothing and you believe that. There may be a name that was pronounced over you. And that's deep in your soul. And it shapes how you think and behave and all of that sort of stuff. And that prophecy has come true in some respects. I'm going to read this out to you. From Isaiah. Chapter 6. Verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord seated on a throne. High and exalted. And the train of his robes filled the temple. Above him were seraphs each with six wings. Two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I have unclean lips. Isaiah is presented with the reality of heaven and he knows what he is like and he says, as Jude says to those who were leading the church astray, Isaiah says of himself, woe to me. In other words, I'm doomed. 
I cannot stand before the presence of God because I'm a sinful man. But Jude says, you will be presented before God faultless, sinless, glorified. Part of your sanctification process in Jesus Christ will see you glorified. And that means without fault and sinless. To present you before his glorious throne without fault and with great joy. And of course, that will be the most happiest time to see Jesus face to face, whether we'll kneel, whether we'll dance, whether we'll sing, whether we'll be silent, who knows? But the reference here is not, possibly not anyway, to us. You know that verse, you present you with great joy? The reference there is to God. Let that sink in. I'm going to read it again so you don't miss it because it is unbelievable. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. The joy is the Lord's. It's not our joy about being in his presence. But get this, it's his joy that we get to share his presence. Anne, Julie, all of you. And if you don't believe me, Zephaniah 3.17 says this, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but rejoice over you with singing. <laughs> Sorry, I'm thinking this is very exciting. And I say that especially to those of us who just feel heavy. God is not finished. Who feel anger, resentment, whatever it is in your emotions towards God, distant, nothing. He's not finished. He'll pursue you because he is the good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. And his desire is to bring you home. And his desire is to bring you into his presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. Shall we pray together? Jesus paid it all. The sin that left a crimson stain he washed it white as snow. Thank you, Jesus. That you have paid the ultimate sacrifice. Thank you that it's done. The victory is yours. Thank you that you are our Lord and our Savior. Thank you for the work you've begun, you're doing, you will bring to completion. Father, my heart goes to those who um, this has been an uncomfortable sermon because their heart is sore. The wall is up 
The pain is very real. And I pray, Lord, that that you would comfort them, that they would hear your call. I pray, Father, that they would obediently choose Jesus in his way. Thank you that you will never leave nor abandon. And I pray for others, Lord, who are excited about this. And Lord, I ask that you would, uh, by your Spirit, guide them um, in the way of Jesus. And that, Lord, they would lead us and they would be an example to us and to those who don't know you yet. That they would see a, 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 a huge harvest in their life and in the ministry that you call them to. Father, I pray that this church family and the others that are represented here would bring you great joy, would honor you, Heavenly Father, and that your kingdom come and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.